just an encouragement uh, for the ladies and uh, for Kaleidoscope and for the guys to kind of take responsibility and look after kids, go and do the shopping, whatever's necessary. Uh, but God does unique and wonderful things when we make the time to get together with Him. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Uh, if you cannot afford the hundred bucks or whatever it is, chat to one of us. Uh, we'll gladly pay it. Andrews would like to pay for at least a hundred ladies, so not an issue. He's flying again. He's uh, fully employed once more, which is awesome. An answer to prayer, uh, and it, it, it is awesome. Um, I was down in the Cape Equip, the Western Cape, and in Durban, and then also Tony's church, and just the general feeling is worship took off at every single one of those equips. It was like the tribe has gathered again, and God pours out His Spirit in a magnificent way. So, the, and, and the title of that equip was, there's a door of ministry, effective door of ministry open. We need to take advantage of that. There is an open heaven. God is doing stuff. People are getting saved and healed. And uh, we're trusting God that this morning as well, you online and for the crowd over here as well, is that some of the ministry that was already begun through prophecy, we would take advantage. We'd, we'd use our relationship with God because He wants us to, not only for salvation, but for ongoing healing and strength and so on. I feel our prayers are far too, what do you call it? Shallow. We don't ask enough of God. We don't believe Him enough. It's almost like I have to handle this on my own. And when I'm in a crisis, I get hold of Him. This morning, I want to talk about a battle that we go through, and I want to intro it. It's just, I'm not too technical neither. See if you can get it. Okay, just imagine me in a pair of boxer shorts <laughs> with a robe, shiny shoes, with a couple of people going before me. You get it? No? You don't? I wasn't built to be a boxer. <laughs> Don't you, don't you just want to go outside and hit somebody right now? <laughs> you get that feeling. I just want to deck somebody. If you have, don't know where that song comes from for the sake of everybody else, it's from one of the Rocky movies. That's when I first got introduced to it. And it really does build up the hype. A lot of Christianity is about fighting the fight. Fighting the good fight of faith. It's, it's kind of battling against the weakness of the flesh. Even though I'm born again and I've been baptized and I've been filled with the Spirit, it's old Marcus has died, the new one has risen, but there's a fight to fight for kingdom values. Because by default, I go back to some of those things that I got delivered out of, and there's a fight. Timothy was encouraged to even take some of the prophetic words that had been given to him and to fight the good fight. The church planters that go out, we compile a, a, a kind of book for them. Uh, it's like a scrapbook, but it's got all their prophecies pasted into it. We encourage them to add those uh, that they receive on the night and others, because during their kind of time of planting, they're going to come up against opposition. 
they're going to come up against the fact that, why me, Lord? <laughs> you know, serving God for Paul and Silas got them into jail. Why me, Lord? How did they overcome that particular fight, by the way? They griped and they reasoned with God. No, they never. They just started to praise. Praise is one of the greatest ways to overcome what the enemy is trying to do in our lives. And so if we were to look at the battlefront that we are confronted with on a daily basis, if we understand how much attention Christ gave to this subject, then we'd realize we've got to overcome. And that, for me, where the fray is the strongest, where the enemy's throwing the biggest weapons at us, where there's all kinds of deceptions and, and so on and so on and so on, it's in this area of money. Money. Now, we often misquote it and saying that money is the root of all evil. <laughs> it's not. It's the love of money. And this world is designed sensually. In other words, it's appealing in, its, in, in the way it's put together to our five senses. And somehow we've swapped kingdom values for the value of money to give us a security that we like. And believe it or not, if you look, you're looking at one of those who's exactly like that. When I have money, I'm a far happier person when I don't have money. You're a far happier person when you've got it and you've paid for this, everything that's around you than when you haven't. And so the fight is there all the time. Third type of soil that the seed is sown into, mentioned it when we did part one, is this issue. Is seed sown and it grows for a little while and then it competes. There's a battle that takes place. And we all have to confront this battle. And it's the sensuality of this world or the temptations that are around us and the deceitfulness of riches. We need to understand that riches and the love of those riches, they are deceitful because they lure us into a false sense of security. They, they, they kind of tempt us to become somebody that we aren't. And so this morning we're going to look at part three of our series on money and we're going to look at the life of Barnabas. Barnabas, and we're going to look at the subject of the grace of giving. Billy Graham has this quote, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it'll help straighten, him, straighten out almost every other area in his life. And it's true. You know, often you think, well, I'll win all those other battles, and then I'll address this issue of money. Actually, once we sort out who is Lord, is it mammon? the love of money, or is it Jesus? We're going to battle. We're going to battle, and we're going to continue to battle. And so we are slowly building up in four parts, uh, working through the obedience of tithing and the generosity of giving and the grace of giving today. And next Sunday, we're going to look at the whole issue of, of stewardship because we want to, as a people, get this one right. You see, the battle is won when we keep the ground we have taken, and we take new ground. We don't want to keep going back to fight that battle. And somehow we do. Somehow we think that, you know, the church is good for spiritual things, but when it comes to financial things or political things or some of the issues that real life's about, we kind of discard what the Bible says. To our peril, we discard those things. So for me, this battle of the heart is a battle 
either Christ is going to be Lord and Savior, or somehow in certain areas I'll submit to Christ, but I will, when it comes to finance, by default I seem to give in to money. It scares me. It causes me much joy and happiness. <laughs> it confuses me at times. And boy, is it a slave driver. Because there is no end to when is enough is enough. And so in the pursuit of it, I will give up so much, I'll become a different person for the sake of bowing my knee to this, this God, this love of money called mammon. And so we're going to use Barnabas as a case study. We're going to use some of the story we know in Scripture and some of his story that church history seems to kind of hint at. We know Barnabas is the encourager. He's, he's the guy you want to hang around with because, uh, you know, he's, he's full of not the glasses half empty. He's full of the glasses half full when it comes to the kingdom. And I feel in that sense we all need to be those that are optimistic. And prophecy is, is not saying what can't be done. It's saying what God can do and has done and will continue to do. It doesn't matter how impossible your budget is. Because now I've just kind of felt in my heart now, some of you are saying, you don't know what my budget is like. You don't know what our budget was like at one stage. We took the wise advice of the world. We took all of the debt we had and we put it into a personal loan account at twice the interest rate of all of those, and then we got banned for five years. <laughs> Boy, did we learn some lessons during that time. But I know it's real. All I'm saying is you ain't seen nothing yet because God knows the situation you're in, and it's time now to dethrone this love or fear or obedience to mammon or the love of money and to get God on that, on that, in, in that place. So church history alludes to the fact that Barnabas could have been the rich young ruler. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? Let me read some of it to you. It says in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the com commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Kind of there's one of the inferences because from the book of Acts, we know that Barnabas was a Levite. So as a Levite, he should have known all of these legal requirements, okay? Uh, and then, and he said to him, teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, notice the next two words, loved him. Isn't that awesome? Now this guy was in a mess, but Jesus loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. That is like so sad. And so, Later on, if we follow through with church history's kind of assuming, we see Barnabas has won the battle. But if we were to follow the teaching of Scripture, we'll realize that this is one of the things Christ focuses on over and over again. Paul picks it up, and we'll read some of those Scriptures later. There's a grace that God wants to rest on every single believer, and it's called generosity. 
generous with love, generous with whatever worldly goods I have. I want to be a good steward to them because I want to have these available to the kingdom of God. And as we know, those three vital areas of my life, my talent, in other words, the gifts that God has given me, my time, I want to be a good steward of that, and my treasure. I want to be generous with that. I want to give out. I don't want to, you know, be, have a seinach spirit. You know, selfish spirit in English sounds semi-decent, but seinach sounds ugly. It really, it's, it's like ugly, withholding. You know, it's, well, I'm going to give just a, 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 an acceptable amount of time for the kingdom. No, actually, all of it belongs to you, Lord. I want to make myself available to whatever you want to do. God first in all of it. And the talents that you've been given, God has put deposits into each of our lives of, of love and grace. And, and, you know, there's a whole kind of world to explore with those talents, but we hold back. No, it's not time to hold back. Life is too short. The, the Lord Jesus is coming back, coming back again, and he gives me a good opportunity to serve him. And so it is as well, is we've got to learn that all of those are his, including the treasures that are in my life. And so God wants to move us, yes, the battle, from being selfish, self-centered. He wants to move us from those who are more fearful of finance and financial security and all the rest to this place where we are totally reliant on him. That's not foolishness. I'm not, you know, many a foolish person has said, okay, well, I'll, I'll just kind of get rid of that, not worry at all. Now it's up to God to worry. No, there's a call of God involved with this. But yet I want to be free from the chains and the shackles. Put on your boxing shorts, put on that golden robe, and put over there, champion of God, and let's go and fight this fight. Philippians, Paul says, there are times in this fight of life that we get knocked down. Who's ever been knocked down financially? Knocked down. The enemy has got you a good blow. <laughs> they got you on the floor. And when you're there with credit cards maxed out, Adele and I are helping a couple. Three credit cards, one revolving credit, one personal loan, 250,000 rand in debt, and not enough money even to cover their monthly expenses, knocked down. And I tell you, God delights in that place because he wants to help us get back up on our feet. But in this walk with God, never knocked out. Never know. The enemy may be able to win a skirmish here or there, but in Christ, as we heal to him, as we talk to him, as we group together in community, we can win this. And let me tell you now, taking out loans and looking for more credit is not the way. We've got to put a stop to that. Somebody said, if you're in that place, you need to practice plastic surgery. Scissors, credit card, cut, 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 cut. And your credit card may be useful on overseas trips or in other situations, but it's not a way to survive. Rather put your hands in, put your life in God's hands than put it in a bank or some kind of money lender. And so we see the, this love of money gripping this young ruler's heart. And, and the, the words are so incredible to describe it over there. It's... Uh, Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
just couldn't make that commitment to serve God the way he should. And he went away disheartened, disheartened. You know, in other words, I can't give up this. I know the battle. We've been there, but we've got to overcome. It's interesting, Jesus follows that up with this, and I'm going to take it out of the other account in Matthew 19, verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty. Now, remember with the disciples, he, he would kind of spend a little bit more time to explain the biblical teaching or the kingdom value behind what has just taken place. Even with the parable of the sower, he teaches it, but he explains it to the disciples. Why? Because they're going to have to go out now and minister themselves. They're going to have to help others. And, and so what he's doing is he's saying, I'm picking on something and I'm using this rich young ruler as an example because this is a common issue. This is a battle we're going to fight. You are going to fight it and you need to overcome. And so he says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty, with difficulty, just get that into our heads, will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's where we kind of have whole monastic movements. I'm reading through a, through a history of kind of uh, just church fathers and various things. And I'm in the place now where the church has gone through the dark ages. And true spirituality was to go and book into a monastery and into a cell that had nothing but just a bit of straw on the floor to sleep. And somehow they misunderstood this. And they felt that that poverty uh, or that, what do you call it, um, vow of poverty was the way to become more spiritual. You want to know the way to become more spiritual? Put God in charge of your finance. That's what he was trying to say over here. Let God rule. How difficult it will be for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He's equating the kind of battle when riches increase for any of us. He's saying that the battle there is greater than when you have nothing. And you'll hear it said, oh, it's easy to preach in Africa because they have nothing. So to receive Christ is like to receive everything. So you preach the same gospel in first world and you say, no, they don't respond because they've got everything, so why do they need Jesus? Explaining that passage of scripture perfectly, perfectly. And so there is gonna be, it's like trying to squeeze, put your foot on the camel's butt, Adele holds the needle and I'm trying to now push you, the camel, through the eye of the needle. In other words, there is gonna be a lot of, pain and hurt and difficulty, there's going to be something that needs to take place of a miracle of God, but it is possible. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the grace of giving. The grace of giving. It's, there's a grace that when we get born again, you know, Christ dedicates 60% of his teaching to this issue of stewardship, and he's wanting the church to kind of flow in it, all of us, every single one. Uh, <clears throat> When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Thank God for that verse. Because now we know it's possible for camels to go through the eye of the needle. Because there's a, a God factor here that we need to reckon with. And we'll read it in the lives of others. Um, for instance, 
Go to Luke chapter 19, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods are given to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come into this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The most famous verse on describing Jesus' life is through Zacchaeus' conversion. He's a rich tax collector, and we know it's going to be hard for him, almost impossible, because how can he go through the eye of a needle? How can this camel go through the eye of the needle? But with God, it's possible. What was the issue? Generosity. That's exactly what it was. He realized the gift of God in Jesus And he realized, you know what? This stuff does not own me. Immediately, you could tell that Jesus owned this heart. You see, Christ is our Savior and he's our Lord. Our Lord, he's our Lord. He needs to be on the throne, not finance. I can't come in here and reserve my rights and, you know, I'm going to serve you, Father, and get saved and the rest of it. But as far as, you know, this goes, this area and finance and this area, those are not yours. You know, you're playing with Christianity. Don't play with Christianity. It's got to be everything. This battle is going to be won on all of those fronts. And so Zacchaeus not only restores what he's defrauded people, and if you come to Christ and you've defrauded people, pay them back. That's an important thing. It's very important because you're a new creation. Those set of values don't rule you anymore. You, You know, you're not disheartened by financial things anymore. You are actually free now. Then he also gave away half his goods. And so we see it is possible, and God wants to do this in our life. Paul teaches the same thing, 1 Timothy 6, 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Knocked out. Bah! The enemy has knocked them out. And so you kind of come to Christ, then you realize the price you need to pay, and then you realize actually there's another Lord on this heart, and that's mammon, the love of money. And so he's saying, you know, not only is the love of money the root of all kinds of evil, but it pierces your heart. The love of money destroys you. The love of money will cause you to walk at right angles to the kingdom of God. The love of money causes those Levites and those others with the man on the way to Samaria who kind of fell. Uh, You know, but a Samaritan, was it Samaria? I don't know which road he was on, that road. But the Samaritan stops, fixes him up, takes him to the inn and pays for him to be fixed up. That's us. That's Christ followers. We flourish in this thing of finances because we know the grace of giving. You know what? Just think about this. The price that was paid for us to be free from our sin. It is huge. And then when God kind of comes to us and says, you know what, I want all of that. Like the rich young man, I want it all. I want everything. Zacchaeus understood it. How can we withhold in the light of such generosity from heaven? Now God wants us, every single one of us who are believers, to reflect his nature. We've got to reflect that nature. And then Paul goes on, and believe you me, it doesn't get any easier for the rich. Who are the rich, by the way, while, while we're talking? Immediately you kind of think, you know, I wonder who's got the, 
that wonderful Audi in the parking lot. <laughs> I know Peter's got a nice car, but nobody knows the backstory. There was a lot of generosity there to get Peter that car. So then we think, oh, who's the guy with the, not a Merc, but the fancy Merc? And don't dare come here in a, anything, you know, like a Ferrari or that. Then we're going to know you're the rich one. You know, according to world statistics, we are the 1% top in the world. Yeah, sitting over here now. Isn't that amazing? We got more than 99% of the world. We got more. We got more as far as homes and cars and, you know, the fact that we have clothing, computers and food and all the rest of it. It's, it's phenomenal. So we all need to be challenged with this. I know there's degrees in all of this, but all of us, we can't just sit here and say, man, God knows my bank account, zilch, so this message is not for me. This is not mine. This is not my fault. No, it is. It is. This is ours. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. What is haughty? It's similar to naughty, but not quite. Proud. In other words, because I'm rich, you know, where is the best seat for me to sit? When you arrive at the coffee shop, <laughs> I know that's my problem. I go to the back and get my coffee first. But it's kind of, hang on, I'm Yana. You know, I'm the guy with the great car. You just need to make, you know, serve me first. You just assume that everybody wants to just be nice to you, yeah, haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You see, if you're building today, relying on riches, you, you can't do that. Your faith has got to be in God. The gracious, this gift of giving, this gift of generosity is something that sets us free. And it says, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Notice it says, charge them. In other words, Timothy was to challenge with this. He wasn't to say, look, I've got a few good ideas about, you know, riches and ownership of the heart and how to be rich towards, you know, how to lap treasure in heaven and the rest of it. He was to charge them. In other words, Timothy <clears throat> was to be strong about this. Timothy was not just to kind of say, well, you know, there's another way. No, this is the way. If we as believers want to be free, this is the way. A friend of mine they were going through a building project. They needed 12 and a half million. So he read this passage. He leads a church, and he got up, and he said, okay, to the rich, I charge you to give into our building fund because it says so over there. And so he had about 10 of them leave <laughs> who were rich. That's not what that means. It, it isn't. In, in many church environments, you get the 10 richest guys together and then only Adele and I can pastor them. We don't do that. Somebody actually said to me, Marcus, if you want to really do well, because God's called you to a big vision, find out your 10 biggest tithers. Have you ever thought, how would you find that out? I have no clue what goes on over here. Well, Glenn thinks, I've... what's that? Are they all sitting in the front row? Do you know what? If we were to work out tithing God's way, if we were to work out tithing God's way, it's the person that gives the proportion, not the amount. I actually said to that guy, you know what I'd rather do is take the, the 10 poorest and go and love them and work with them. That is actually not a biblical principle. 
It's not a tool. There's a responsibility on each of us not to lay up treasures for ourselves here, not to think of ourselves haughty, and not to feel a sense of security because I've got bucks now, and if I haven't got bucks, I haven't. I haven't got that security. And if God challenges me to give, there goes my security. There goes my identity. There goes, you know, every form of value that I have in my life. That means riches have got hold of you. Time to repent. Time to, if necessary, go and give it all away and say, Father, I want to rely on you. I'm serious. Because that's the way we overcome. If we want this gracious gift, this incredible, wonderful gift of giving the very nature of Jesus Christ to be in our lives, this is the way we do it. Jesus summarizes the heart of this issue in this way. Uh, Matthew 6, 30, 30. Oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So so don't put your big effort into securing yourself financially. Put your big effort in securing yourself as far as the kingdom goes. Let the pursuit of your whole life be kingdom. Let it not be a confusing issue. Kingdom and finances are not on the same level at all. It is not. Kingdom supersedes all the time. Next week when we look at budget, because that's stewardship, unless the kingdom is in that budget, that budget is going to continue to be some, a place where there's going to be disappointment. And then it says in verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Today I want to trust you, Father. Today I want to put my faith in you. And of course, today, if you do make me rich, and I'm going to show you what we need to do, how do we kind of respond to that? Because I don't believe that being rich is evil, not at all. It's the trust that you have as a rich person that could be evil. Okay, let's have a look at Matthew 13, verse 22. And that that was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, the pleasures of life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This verse God gave me right at the beginning for this series that we're doing. We don't often see the result of what the word of God can produce in our lives, because at a certain point where we should be trusting in him, and for what his word's going to accomplish, we trust in riches. So, yes, now Barnabas, uh, if you go with the church history supposition that he was the rich young ruler, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's the redemption. So, the disciples had seen that this guy who was Joseph had had a radical transformation. And he had, so great was the transformation, they renamed him uh, from Joseph to Barnabas, a son of encouragement. But I love some of the, the, the kind of backstory here. He's a Levite. Levites were not allowed to own property under the Mosaic law. But he owned property where? In Cyprus. It's not Israel. So the clever Levite, 
found a loophole in the law. <laughs> and he was making some bucks and he owned property that he had bought in Cyprus. But so had God gripped his heart as the need arose and as the challenge was there. It wasn't an issue. Sold it and I gave it away. Compare that to the rich young ruler attitude. Jesus says, give it away. No ways am I going to give it away because that stuff owns me. That's the transition that needs to take place in our hearts where there's an absolute joy as we give in to the kingdom. And so Barnabas breaks the stranglehold um, by giving. There's one more, two more passages of scripture. Romans 12, let's turn there quickly. Please. Romans 12 verse five. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So all of us have been given gifts of grace. (coughs) Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, who feels they like more got that prophetic gift? You're an encourager because that's a person with a prophetic gift. You know, it's like the world might be going there, but you're gonna point us to Christ. Do you find that you're a, kind of encourager? Raise your hand if you are. There should be. There should be at least one-seventh of us, but there are seven gifts here. Okay? And let us use it if prophecy, and then if service in our serving. That's just you find yourself by default. Something needs to be done, you'll be putting chairs out. <clears throat> you'll be fixing up. Who, who finds that that's their default? I know some of us duck away from this one. All the young guys, is this yours? No ways. Your mother's always saying, Pick it up, clean it up, whatever. Okay, and then the one who's teacher, who teaches in his teaching, if that's your gift, use it. You're kind of concerned about the truth that we kind of commit to, and, and you want to help folk with that. All the Sunday school teachers or children's ministry guys, put your hands up. This is you and so many more of us. And then it says, he who exhorts with, in his exhortation. Those are the happiest people in this congregation. I love them. They're always wanting to, come on, Glenn, lift your eyes up. The king is on the throne, bro. What's your problem? You know, and you think, oh, he doesn't know what I'm going through. But who's an exhorter here? Point to somebody that you know is an exhorter. Come on. Zelda's an exhorter. Andrew is an exhorter. Actually, Glenn is an exhorter as well. They're all over the place. See what I'm getting at? God gives us to him who contributes in generosity. God makes some of us those who are going to give, like Joseph, Barnabas. How about that? Did you ever think of that? That God is going to anoint some here to release finance into the kingdom of God. I'm trying to empower you because to the rich, there's always going to come the challenge of who owns who in that situation. Does God own it and is it available to him or do I own it? And I'm going to be the dictator of what goes on over there. I'm going to back this up with more scripture. And then, of course, the one who leads with zeal. Who's a leader? Every mother and father should put up their hands. We all lead. But God anoints some to be deacons, some to be uh, elders in a local church. And those with acts of mercy do it with cheerfulness. Who feels like they're a mercy giver? Ach, shame is the South African translation of that. Ach, shame. doesn't matter what happens. Somebody would want to teach, but you'll always go, oh, shame. You, oh, he had an accident. Another guy want, who's the giver wants to buy a new car, but you're saying, oh, shame. 
That's how it works in the kingdom. Last scripture, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And he tells us in the light of kind of someone in the crowd said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me and so on. And then in verse 15, he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. <laughs> That's the way to get many friends as well, apparently. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose shall they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. That is a powerful parable. As God blesses us, as God causes the increase. So you can imagine if you have been given the gift of generosity in the local church, because God is going to anoint us for that. He's going to give you the ability to make it. Where do you think your great idea for business came from? Your entrepreneurial skills, your wisdom in making decisions from God. And so as he gives you the increase, like with this man, don't go and build more bonds. Ask God, what shall you do? So yes, the transaction that goes on in our hearts, when is enough enough? And perhaps God is doing all of that, if we understand scripture, to see the release into his kingdom. I'm encouraging you. All of us, that wonderful gift of grace, of giving should be on us, every single one. Every one of us should know how to lead. Every one of us should know how to teach. But God's going to anoint some to lead, some to give, some to teach, some to exhort. And so our body is complete. Can you see how this all fits together? And the victories that need to be won, I want to be rich towards God. So can we pray for that now? Let's bow our heads, our hearts before our Father.